Street Pastors, uh, which is uh, a ministry of all the churches here in Winchester, recognizing uh, that uh, there are vulnerabilities and needs in our nighttime economy, driven partly uh, by uh, the effects of alcohol. And we're just going to dip today into those two uh, clumps of verses uh, from Proverbs uh, and then step back a tiny bit and try and see more widely uh, what is happening. But let's start with those uh, wonderful uh, verses. The first is Proverbs uh, 20, uh, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Uh, I think this underlines that alcohol profoundly affects how we act. And here there is a particular focus on alcohol's ability to make us aggressive and make us hostile to other people. Although often when we're drunk, we feel like we're seeing things clearly. We feel like we're, in a sense, we're, we're shedding restriction and we're seeing things more clearly as they are. But in fact, the effect is different, makes us aggressive, makes us hostile. So alcohol deceives us. It leads us astray and into behavior that is self-destructive or is destructive of others. Then if you go forward to that lovely uh, bit in Proverbs 23, uh, 29 uh, to 35, which is one of the more extended uh, bits of Proverbs where it sort of treats a single theme uh, in a bit more uh, depth, uh, and as the readers helped us uh, to see, there's this wonderful cumulative effect of uh, those opening six questions. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Well, that could be almost anybody. Uh, who has strife? Who has complaints? Well, that's still pretty much anybody. Who has needless bruises? Well, it's beginning to narrow a little bit. Who has bloodshot eyes? Oh, yeah, I know. This is people who drink uh, too much. The focus here again is on alcohol being deceptive. So alcohol appears in all of its forms as alluring. You know, the red, the red wine that looks so wonderful in the cup, it appears alluring, it tastes wonderful to many of us, it's exciting. And when you start drinking, there is a, there's this promising start of elation and joy and a feeling that the world is a better place. But that initial allure and excitement, as Proverbs teaches, masks destructive results. The confusion that takes over, the hangover that ensures, uh, ensues, the uh, trying to sleep but feeling as though your pillow is on the high seas and you're being tossed about on a boat. Uh, that drunk's bravado of, I can do anything and I can take on anybody. Again, when you're drunk, it feels like that's true. But of course, to everybody else around you, uh, it's false. And then finally, in a sense, the biggest sting in the tail is uh, the addiction. Uh, so having recovered from your confusion and your rolling in the high seas and your bruises and your headache, what you want, you want another drink sparkling red wine that goes down so smoothly is, Proverbs teaches, only the tip of the iceberg. Something more sinister uh, lurks uh, beneath. 
So how does this acquaintance, uh, this is Proverbs, very old, you know, thousands of years old, how does this equate with maybe what a modern scientific view uh, would say? Well, of course, there's a massive overlap. Uh, but there are some things that we particularly need to bear in mind. Uh, the first is uh, that in the UK at least, the richest 20%, and that's got to include some of us here, the richest 20% of people are more likely to drink excessively on a regular basis. 25% of adults drink more than the recommended weekly <coughs> limit, uh, which is 14 units for women and 21 for men. Excessive drinking is tied to the following. Domestic abuse, in my experience, over 30 years of pastoral ministry, that's absolutely cast iron guaranteed. Where there is domestic abuse, there is often, but not always, somebody, at least one person, drinking too much. There is absenteeism. There are full accidents in emergency departments at the weekends. If you have one or more drinker in your family, it will almost certainly be having a profoundly negative impact on uh, the family. Uh, drinking too much also uh, heightens blood pressure, uh, increases the chances of you getting heart disease and stroke and liver disease and cancer. Uh, there is also, interestingly, for us as a nine o'clock congregation, evidence that excessive drinking increases with age. So the older we get, the more likely we are to drink too much. Uh, I think most of us would say it's, it's those young people who are at fault here and the excessive drinkers. But actually, statistically, it's, it gets worse as you get older. So it's not something that our culture is teaching us to have more wisdom about as we get older. Actually, we have less wisdom. Though there is some evidence uh, that the new millennial generation uh, do value self-control and drinking less alcohol uh, more than some of us older ones. If we step back and think, well, what is a whole Bible view on this issue? Uh, this is where I land up. Wine, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, but also in the New, is a symbol of abundance, is a symbol of God's generosity. And so it is linked to the joy of feasting and celebration and harvests. So wine has a good press, uh, particularly in the Old uh, Testament, although we should note that wine then had a far lower alcohol content than our wine now. Um, but uh, we should also note that the great reformer, I'm just hoping the church wardens hear this, the great reformer Calvin uh, in Geneva uh, stipulated that his annual stipend should include seven barrels of wine. I'm just offering that as an interesting, yeah. There is no outright command not to drink alcohol in the Bible. So we should, we should note that, live with that. It doesn't say anywhere, don't drink alcohol. And Jesus' first miracle uh, recorded in John's Gospel at Cana of Galilee was, of course, the completely unnecessary uh, but extremely generous uh, conversion of water into wine for a wedding feast that had probably already been going for five or six days. And so it wasn't as though there was a massive need. Now, of course, uh, that miracle was more 
than just about alcohol. But it was interesting that that was what Jesus chose to do. It, it, again, picked up those Old Testament themes of abundance and joy and celebration. Uh, Jesus uses and asks us to use wine as a memorial of his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, New Testament uh, features wine both as an antiseptic as in the Good Samaritan, when the Good Samaritan pours wine and oil on the man's wounds, and also as a digestive aid. So Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. But there are plenty of warnings too, echoing Proverbs, warnings against drunkenness. So they're not warnings against drinking alcohol, but against drunkenness, particularly in the New Testament, that excessive drinking is self-destructive, partly physically, but also morally and also relationally. It's who we are and it's what we do when we regularly drink too much that is the issue. The impact on our families, the impact on our witness to Christ. That means that in 1 Timothy 3, Christian leaders are required to be self-controlled in our drinking. Now, Brian will be able to back me up on this. In all my years of ordained ministry and in the process and pathway to ordained ministry, I was never asked about my drinking of alcohol. And yet there it is, as clear as a bell in 1 Timothy 3. For those of us who expect to take a lead within the local church should be self-controlled in our drinking. And I think that's partly because of the way that we're expected to, in a sense, to um, order our households. But it's also partly what other people see when they look in on our lives. Now, there have been moments in more recent history when Christians have taken a stronger position. John Wesley campaigned vociferously against the effects of drinking gin on London's poor in the 18th century. You may remember tens of thousands of rural poor had moved to London without home, without community, and also without the weak beer that they were used to drinking at home. And they were completely taken in and then undone by this new, shiny, highly alcoholic drink, gin. And it trapped many people in dire poverty and brought others to an early grave. And so for Wesley, as a Christian, this was a matter of social justice. The poor were dying, families were being ruined, something needed to be done. Other temperance and abstinence movements grew up from that, both here in the Protestant Europe and in the US. And we were, a few of us talking before the service, Uh, So that's when uh, some of the brewers, like Guinness, these great Christian families, uh, came in uh, wanting to provide uh, an alternative that wasn't going to kill everybody uh, in the form of Guinness. Uh, So there have been, in the last couple of hundred years, deliberate, concerted efforts to reverse the highly destructive effects of excessive drinking, those effects being on health, on marriages, on families, on income, on people's moral and spiritual well-being. And these have had a profoundly positive effect, along with movements like Alcoholics Anonymous 
uh, their 12-step program. And they all highlight what we hear in Proverbs, that the alcohol, and we've got to remember, we live in a culture where millions and millions of pounds are spent telling us how wonderful alcohol is. Alcohol is also deceptive. And as well as being deceptive, it's destructive. And so thus for many people, particularly in our culture, where there is so much excess, where all the wine that we drink, all the beer that we drink is much, much stronger than it's been through history, let alone spirits and other things. It's no surprise that abstinence from drinking any alcohol, along with continuing support and help, is for many the best way to live. It's not commanded in the scriptures, but many people find that a good way to live. Now, we happen to live in Northern Europe, a part of the world with our long, dark winters and our history means that we are internationally the epicenter of excessive drinking. And we have been so since medieval times. So we have great form as a nation over hundreds of years. And within that climate, Christians, as Christians, we are easily mocked or dismissed as killjoys for saying that moderation or abstinence are the best way uh, to live. You know, headlines in the papers this morning uh, were that uh, the whole nation is going to need a day off tomorrow uh, because of all the celebratory drinking that's going to be going on today. It's interesting that the word Puritan is often used as the ultimate insult uh, of somebody, even though the English uh, Puritans were temperate, moderate drinkers of beer and wine. Uh, they weren't teetotalers. And like many other Christians, uh, they'd simply lived, uh, learned to live well uh, with alcohol, uh, to enjoy it in moderation. My understanding of the whole uh, Bible point of view is that wine and other alcoholic drinks are portrayed as things to receive gladly, but also uh, to drink uh, and to imbibe in moderation. Uh, we are warned, though, we are warned that alcohol is fickle and it is deceptive and it is highly destructive. And so we should take the time to learn wisdom and to learn self-control and to model that in our families and within our friendship groups and to and since take note of the fact that nationally, as a nation, we drink more as we get older. We are not commanded to abstain from alcohol, but many of us will need to confront the truth that we drink too much alcohol, and in drinking too much alcohol, we hurt ourselves, and we hurt those closest to us, and we undermine our witness to Christ. Now, if that is the case for you, I think you should stop drinking altogether. Uh, if that is you, you need to tell somebody today, if possible, soon, definitely, that you need help because alcohol is a deceiving, destructive force and once it gets hold of you, it won't willingly let you go. You will always want just one more. Amen.